to me, a save is like the golden standard of a metric right now. Like saves are intent to purchase. Saves are to view again. That is such a meaningful metric for a brand. You are listening to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? In short, it's a good time, great conversation, and a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers and entrepreneurs, I explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I am here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to chat. Are you ready to listen? In this episode, we are covering how a creator can best tee themselves up to brands with Molly Tracy. Molly is the founder and CEO of VRAI Digital, an influencer marketing agency that manages a diverse group of female content creators in fashion, wellness, and lifestyle. With over 12 years of experience in the industry, Molly advises on growth strategy and secures brand partnerships to expand their portfolios. I'm so excited to learn more about the needs of the creator in today's episode. So let's talk marketing with Molly. Molly, welcome to Let's Talk Marketing. I'm excited to talk to you today. Our topic of strategy conversation is kind of from just the creator side this time around and how they can tee themselves up for brands. So really stoked to start diving into that. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yes. Now, before we do talk strategy, I'd love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So let's start with some easy questions of what was your first marketing role? And also, where are you at now? What's your current role? So my first marketing role, this is kind of funny how I got into it. So I was a journalism major and I moved to New York City after college. My goal was to write for Cosmo. This is in the era of the hills and that sort of thing. So I feel like that was like every college girl's dream at that time. I did not end up working in publications. That was at the time, this is in 2011. And so print publications were dying. Everything was moving to digital. Yeah. And I actually got a job in the HR department at Bliss Skincare, working as an HR assistant. And the marketing director came up to me one day and she said, you are young. You look like you know what this Facebook thing is or what this Twitter thing is. Do you want to run it for us? And so I said, sure, I can write tweets. I'd been doing that. And it was sort of like short form copy. I felt like it was like in my journalism wheelhouse. So my very first foray into marketing was really in the social media department at Bliss Skincare. When opportunity and talent crash together, that is where you're at. I love it. So what I want to know is what you're currently doing right now. What do you love about it? But conversely, what would you pluck out of it or take out of it if you could. So let's start with what do you love about where you're currently at? Sure. So where I'm currently at now, it's a little bit of a 360 from social, still sort of in the same sphere. I am currently CEO and founder of Vray Digital. We are a influencer marketing and talent management agency. So we focus on female creators and amplifying their voices and expanding their digital footprints. And then on the flip side, we also work with businesses on strategic influencer marketing integration. So took a segue from social and moved into the influencer marketing space and have been in that space for the last 10 years and have opened my own agency for the, we actually just had our four-year anniversary on last Friday. So. Oh, congrats. 
thank you so much. I am obsessed with influencer. I am somebody that really saw, I think that this industry was taking a hold of something 10 years ago. I looked at it and I said, this is something. And I know that this is going to be huge one day and I want to be on the forefront of it. So I loved that it was a female dominated industry at that time when influencers just came about. They were known as bloggers back in the day and they were female fashion bloggers and female beauty bloggers and female home decor bloggers. And I just thought it was so cool that we had this industry that was for us, created by us. And I still love that. I still work with mostly female creators now. And I would say that's really kind of where my passion lies is working with these women to really further their careers. You know, the industry has changed a lot. When I first got started, influencer was really used as a brand amplification tool. You needed somebody else talking about your brand on the internet besides yourself. Yes. So when I was casting, my job was really to find women that were doing cool stuff on the internet, creating really cool content that our brands could fit into. And it was very purist in that way. I think it's become a little transactional over the last couple of years. I think when people started to see that influencer was an incredible revenue driver, it became very much less about impressions and engagement and how are we shifting brand perception to CPAs and ROAS and ROI. And that's great. And I think that there's a place for that. But I think it sometimes takes out the heart of what influencer is, which is really introducing your brand to a new audience. Yeah. And it's people. You know what I mean? People talking to people, it could not be more human than that. Now, as far as social networks, I'm a big believer that content is really made to inspire, educate, and entertain. So when you look at your social networks, which ones do you go to for inspiration, entertainment, and education? Not sure if you go to one place for all three or if you are network specific. Yeah, there's definitely crossover. I would say for inspo... I still probably look at Instagram the most, though if it's travel inspo, I'm definitely going to Pinterest. I find that Pinterest is the place that I always start when it comes to travel planning, mostly because it's so hyper-connected to blog. And I find that if I'm traveling somewhere new, I want recommendations from influencers and from bloggers who can give me a deep dive into where to eat, where to stay, where to play. So those are the two for inspo. Entertainment is a thousand percent TikTok more so than I would like to admit on this podcast. I spend way too much time there. I try to mask it as research. Let's just say that it is to make me feel better about it. (laughs) And then education. I love LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a new love of mine that I've like over the last year really gotten involved on that platform. And there's so much to learn there. I mean, it's just like the industry's best voices I've found there. So that's really where I would say for education. Though I do learn a lot on TikTok. I will say that. I learn a lot of cool life hacks and tips and tricks on TikTok. TikTok's really great for digestible, short bites of education, right? Of the life hacks that you may have. That's fantastic. Now, how do you stay up to date on trends? If not on social media, is there a newsletter? Is there a group? What do you do to stay up to date? I would imagine, especially in the area that you're at, that like you got to be on top of things. You do. I definitely turn to social for that. I think I use in terms of what type of content is trending and how I can look at that for each of my clients and sort of convey to them how they can tweak this trend to make sense for them or their audience. Definitely TikTok. I think TikTok is really the driving force behind what type of content is trending on social. And you see that happening 
on Instagram, but probably about two, three weeks later. But I think it's really originating on TikTok. Yeah. But I'm also a member of Women in Influencer Marketing, which is a Facebook group and community where it brings together. Well, of course, you're familiar. That's how we got connected. Yes. <laughs> Huge shout out. I think I just had another shout out to Women in Influencer Marketing. Well, it is an amazing group. It is, for me, one of the ways I also do keep in touch. And it is such a warm, welcoming group of women that are really there to support one another, as well as stay on top of things and ask questions from such an authentic place. And it's so well received. It's such a safe space. And that's really hard to find in the digital world that we live in now. I absolutely agree. I use that group as truly like my strongest gut check, whether that's connecting with other managers to be like, does this contract term look weird? Or what are you charging for this? Or gut checks with brands of, you know, what are you guys seeing? I think especially this industry ebbs and flows so much in terms of workload. And so just nice to connect with agents and brands and say, like, are you guys seeing a slowdown on budgets too? So yeah, shout out to Jesse. It's invaluable. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. So let's dive into strategy, right? Let's dive into the marketing part of the podcast. And this one is from a creator standpoint and how they can really tee themselves up to brands. Now, before an influencer really engages in any sort of conversation, what should they know or what should they have at their fingertips so that they can tee themselves up? I think before you even begin to reach out to a brand for a partnership, there's a couple of ways that you can tee yourself up to them. A, start posting about them organically. If you're using their product and you're loving it, and let's just say, for instance, it's a mascara and you're wanting to work with this beauty brand, start incorporating that mascara in your get ready with me videos, start sharing it in your going out type videos, start talking about the product, start linking the product, whether that's to a Sephora or Target, start gathering some of that data, start engaging with that brand on social media. A, let's make sure you're following the brand on social. There is nothing worse than getting a pitch as a brand saying, I love your brand and you don't even follow them on their social media channels. Just a little icky. I don't think that we can really believe that you love us that much if you don't really follow and engage with us. So following is key and then start engaging with them and not in a way from a place of a selfish standpoint or self-serving standpoint. Don't just be DMing them Mm -hmm. saying, I'd love to work together. Start commenting on their stuff. Start replying to their stories. Start truly engaging with their content. So when your pitch comes into their inbox, that brand is like, oh yeah, I know that she did this like get ready with us video that she tagged us in like a couple of weeks ago. And she's always really great about commenting on all of our stuff. And she always has interesting things to say or suggestions. So that's kind of a way of like priming a brand before you bring a pitch into their inbox. Very nice. And I actually think that's really fantastic advice, especially if you know you know as a creator that there is a brand that you do want to be able to work with and partner with. It sounds like it would be a very obvious thing to follow them and engage. But to your point, it's a great way also to show how you engage with the community if you're engaging with them in their community as a brand. So fantastic advice. What as a creator should I have at my fingertips as it pertains to my metrics, my analytics. What does a brand want to know and see when someone is reaching out to them? So here's how I say you craft the perfect pitch. It is short and sweet. We try to keep it to a paragraph or less. 
And you're coming with the following. You're coming with links to content that you've featured them in recently. You're coming to them with screenshots of any DMs that you received from that content. So it could be, oh, I loved the technique that you showed us how to do with this mascara, or I just bought this mascara last week because of you. I'm loving it. So arm yourself with community engagement that you've fostered. You're coming to them with insights on that content that you've posted. So whether that's real impressions or sends or saves, we love sends and saves. Those to me are the biggest metrics that you can find and feed and show true intent to purchase. You're coming to them with any story insights. So what were the views? What were the clicks on those stories when you linked to them? And then finally, you're coming to them with conversion data. So whatever affiliate network you're on, whether that's an LTK or a shop style, you're pulling that conversion data and sending it to the brand. So you're able to say to them, hey, I did a get ready with me last week. Here's all the great engagement that I got from my community and people showing to me that they actually bought the product. Here's the number of clicks that I received on this story and the number of sales that I was able to drive for you guys based off of this video. Is there a way that we can work together? And I think finally, even kind of pitching sort of a very mini creative concept to them. So how do you want to work with them? Just saying, I'd love to work with you doesn't really mean anything to them. Like in what way? If you're in college, maybe you're doing like a get ready with me for formal video that you'd like to include the mascara in or something like that. What's the hook? What's the angle? How can you paint a picture for them? How you can incorporate their brand into your content with like a neat creative idea. What I really appreciate about what you outlined was, and I don't know if you know that you did this, but you started from qualitative to quantitative as far as like what an influencer and a creator can bring to a brand when they're pitching themselves. What a great idea to show already the posts that you're doing unpaid so that they can see the quality of your work, but also the screenshots of the engagements, the DMs. I don't know that we talk about the qualitative enough when it comes down to it. And I think that that can be a real game changer for influencers and brands if they start to see things like that. There's a big risk of brands working with new creators. And so if you're able to prove to them that this won't be the first time my audience has seen this product. There's not going to be as much ramp up time for you as a brand. I've already had multiple touch points with my audience. And not only that, they're responding really well to those touch points via the DMs that you can see here. So it's just a little bit less of like a barrier to entry for a brand to be like, gosh, this is a whole new creator. We know nothing about their audience. We have no idea if they're interested in us or our brand. Well, yeah, you do, because I have all this evidence that I've just showed you. Yeah. And what I also think is so great about that piece of advice as well, too, is that a brand can use that to find the right creator or influencer that they want to work with. You know what I mean? So then it almost turns into who's going to reach out to whom first. And then they're just kind of primed. What do you think are some kind of common mistakes that influencers and creators that you see happening when they're trying to either pitch themselves or maybe even when they're being approached from a brand, some kind of like pitfalls, mistakes that you see from the influencer side. Two tips I will say for influencers to make yourself more discoverable or searchable for partnerships is have your location in your bio. That's huge. There's not enough of that happening. And so many of the campaigns that we work on are regionalized. 
especially if you're a beauty creator, a lot of the campaigns that you work on might be retailer specific. So if you don't have that retailer in your region, you wouldn't be able to be booked for that campaign. Whereas some of these regions can be a little bit more just kind of tough to source talent from. So it's like a godsend if you have your location in your bio. And then always have your email in your bio, not just in the email button on Instagram. Reason being is that most brands and agencies that are doing casting are doing it from their desktop. They're not working mobily. And that button isn't available to us on desktop when we visit Instagram, right? So now it's a pain in the butt that I have to like go to my phone and click the email button, copy and paste it from my email, add it to my spreadsheet. It's too many steps. And honestly, I'm skipping them because I'm trying to cast 100 people for this. I don't have time. So those would be like just two tips. I would say Some of the mistakes I see when people that are pitching are, again, just blanket emails that are just, you can tell are copy and pasted like, hey, I'd love to work with your brand. Here's who I am as a creator. Are you booking anything for Q2? There's no personalization. It doesn't say what your connection is to the brand. It doesn't include any of the organic mentions that you've done for the brand. It just feels very copy and paste. And so I think that that is something that is going to be always overlooked from brands and agencies, at least make it feel personalized, maybe make a comment about a campaign that the brand has recently done that you thought was interesting. Like if I'm pitching Tarte, I'm a thousand percent going to mention the Dubai trip and your thoughts on it. If you thought it was great or if you thought it was over the top and crazy or whatever the case is, just to show that you actually are following along with the brand, that you do have a connection with them. Some sort of like personal anecdote is great. And then again, like being somebody reaching out and not following them or reaching out and saying, I'm your biggest fan, but having never posted about them, the brand visits your page, they don't see their product in your feed anywhere, even though you're our, our biggest fan, some things like that. And on the brand side, I think there's so many things that are small and easy things that you can do to make yourself seem like a little bit more appealing to a creator. I think it's the same thing as much as like some of the blanket pitches come from creators to brands. Yeah. Brands are definitely sending blanket pitches to creators. Yeah. And that's again, a volume thing, but I think trying to personalize that in any way. So it's looking at their feed. Maybe they celebrated a birthday last week, wishing them a happy belated birthday, something like that to show like a personal connection or even commenting on a piece of content that they did or even just like something about their content that you enjoy, whether it's the photography style or the sarcastic comedy undertones that they put into their content, something like that. And then also just like down to things that are very value aligned. I have a vegan creator on my roster that like we just got pitched something for a beef stick brand last month. And I was like, well, she's vegan. And it says it in her bio. And it happens a lot. We had a client of mine that was like, she bottle fed her kids and was like very open about that journey on her blog and in feed and talks about it a ton. And we got a pitch last week for a breastfeeding pump. So just doing your research a little bit is helpful. Yes. I really like those tips. That first one of really updating your bio with location. I think that's so key. There are a lot of people that don't do that. And also the email. I think there are a lot of influencers that, to your point, aren't thinking from a desktop standpoint, but from a brand perspective, I'm on my desktop. I'm on my monitors. I want to be able to access that. So great tips on that, as well as personalization. And then also, I think that last one was show that you're a fan. And I think you're right. Like that advice works from a brand perspective as well, too. But I almost think that like, the undertone is building or establishing a relationship. What are your thoughts on 
how an influencer can build out that brand relationship. Let's say they've teed themselves up, they've listened to this podcast and they've taken all the tips and they've done that. And now they've pitched themselves and the brand has bitten. What's that next step? What does building out that relationship look like? And how can an influencer be a good steward of the brand to help build out that relationship? And relationships are everything in this industry. Mm -hmm. So a couple of ways a creator can start to build a relationship. First, ask for an onboarding call. Say, I'd love to get on the phone with the brand and talk through my creative concepts for the campaign and what I'm thinking to make sure that we're aligned. Then you get FaceTime with the brand. And now you can kind of kiki a little bit, get to know them, ask them where they're from, how long they've worked at the agency. You get to build a little bit of a rapport. So I think onboarding calls are great. I think definitely any sort of added value that you can do for the brand goes a really long way. So if you're working on a partnership that is supposed to go live in the next four weeks, start peppering in that product next week when you get it. Do an unboxing when the product arrives. Let's go back to mascara. I'm reviewing this mascara right now. I'm going to share my thoughts in a couple of weeks, but like want to get it on your radar that I'm going to be doing some testing. And then maybe a week later, you're doing a get ready with me and you're just popping it in and being, hey, I'm really loving this mascara. Full review coming, but so far so good. So start peppering in some organic mention that goes such a long way with the brand. They're so appreciative of that. Yeah. And then I would say always ask how the campaign performed. So when you're getting ready and you're sending over the insights and you're wrapping up the campaign, you've got your invoice there. Say like, how did it go? How did it perform? Did it meet the metrics that you were looking for? Whether that was a specific engagement metric or a certain number of impressions or did I hit your sales goals? Yeah. I think that not enough people ask. Yes. It's so underrated completely. And I think it's such a good way to then spark the conversation to talk about renewing that partnership. If they come back and say, actually, you crushed it. You completely outdid the numbers that we were looking for. You could just say, great, let's do a round two. Let's keep the momentum going. Clearly, we've laid really good groundwork here. So that I think is always important. Let's say I'm an influencer. What I'm curious about is the balance between how many brand partnerships as an influencer that you have that you're posting versus what you would post normally. Now, I know as a consumer of social and definitely someone that's very influenced on social media to purchase all sorts of things, the list goes on. There is a bit of a turnoff when there's an influencer that has a feed that is pretty much all brand partnerships. But we kind of live in this space right now where everyone's an influencer. What is your advice to someone that's coming to you that's like, hey, I want these types of brand partnerships? Like, Do you advise them on how many they should actually take on at a time? Yes. And this number is like, it's slightly different for everybody. Yeah, of course. And I think it can totally differ on what the deliverables look like. I think you can probably do a little bit more story content than I would suggest in feed, but south of 40% for sure. I think 30% of sponsored content is a very good sweet spot. You are not here as a creator to be a billboard for other brands. That's not why you got into the industry. That's not why you're excited to create content and connect with your audience. It certainly at least should be. And I don't think that people are necessarily following you because they're really looking for your ad content. I think they are following you because they enjoy you and your life or whatever your take on that is. And so you want to give your community what it is that they followed you for in the first place. 30 to me is like a sweet spot. That's about like one a week, which I think is good. 
Two, I think is fine. Three, four, five is a lot. It is a lot. I think around 30% is like a good sweet spot. Is that also an added value you think from an influencer creator side to bring up to a brand when they are approaching them? It's like, hey, I'm very selective with who I partner with and what my community resonates with. This is how many brand partnerships I say yes to. And I'd really like one of yours to be one of those because I feel really strongly about it. Is that a direction that can be used? A a great way to tee yourself up? No, I think it's a great angle to work in there. If you're somebody who only does a few partnerships a month and is very strong in your conviction on that, I don't think it's a bad thing to say that to a brand at all. Yeah, I'm incredibly selective of who I work with. I have small spaces on my editorial calendar. And I'd like for one of those to be your brand. And I'd like to look at building out something longer term with you because most of the partners I work with are long term or whatever the case is. But yeah, I think it's a great bargaining chip to say that I have scarce space in my editorial calendar. I mean, I think a little bit of scarcity makes anybody want to jump on things, right? Nobody wants to feel like they're missing out on something. It's FOMO. That's what it's about. Like, I don't want to miss out on this, leveraging this influencer, this creator. Just kind of a final question I have about what I as an influencer creator can bring to the table to a brand. I'd love to know where follower count sits in as far as like advice that you give for teeing yourself up. Do you want to push your follower count? And the reason that I ask that is because in my opinion, I think like it's not about follower count. It's more about engagement. So I kind of wonder, is that something that is that a feather on my cap that I want to put on my cap so that I am more attractive to a brand? Where does follower count sit? I think if you asked me five years ago, I would say it's important. Now it's really not. There's so many other metrics that brands and agencies are looking for now. Like I said, I think even your engagement rate, I'm so much more curious to see what your saves are and your ascends are. To me, a save is like the golden standard of a metric right now. Like saves are intent to purchase, saves are to view again. That is such a meaningful metric for a brand. I'm so much more intrigued by that. I also think your conversion rate is so much more compelling than your follower count right now. Yeah. Especially as we move into this crazy economic shakeup. I think a lot of brands are being really cautious with budget and needing to see ROI on their spend. And so you can showcase that you have a really strong community that you can convert into buyers for that brand. That's super compelling versus seeing your follower count. I love that viewpoint of things too. And to your point, saves are really huge. As you're talking about it, I'm thinking of all the things that I save and I go back to. I'm so intentional on why I've saved it, either to share it with someone else or to truly convert. So great metric to ask for and then also shine light to if you are an influencer wanting to work with a particular brand. Now, I could talk to you forever, but I want to be very conscious of your time. So I have one final, final question for you. And that would be, if you knew then what you know now, what is the marketing advice that you give to yourself? To myself? I think when I first started in influencer marketing, it was treated by brands as very much like, oh, this is just somebody else that can regurgitate our key messages. And so it was very here's the exact brief. Here's what we need content to look like exactly. These are the exact messages that we need you to say in this way. And 
I think that that made brands really comfortable to spend money because they were like, well, at least we're getting exactly what it is that we're looking for. And we get to kind of control this narrative and we get to control the style of the content. And that makes us feel comfortable, even though this influencer feels crazy to us. And this is kind of out of box for us. But at least this is a way for us to feel comfortable. And I think we've gotten so far away from that. And I had I wish that I had had the insight that I do now to know that it really is a trust in the influencer and a constant reminder of you contracted this person because you trust their relationship with their audience and you enjoy their content and you think they're a brand fit. And so loosening the reins on that, I wish that we had the forefront to be able to do that. But I think back then we were really just doing whatever we could do to like sell in programs to our clients and make them feel comfortable. But I feel like those brands that started with us 10 years ago probably would have been even further ahead than they were in the two years after that if they had really kind of trusted that. But, you know, it is what it is. You had to get people to sell into the program and dip their toes and let them feel comfortable doing it. But I think that's definitely the biggest takeaway that I've been able to adopt since working through this industry is just really relying on the creator to bring the vision to life versus sort of spoon feeding them something from the brand to then try to adopt for their audience. Those are great final notes to end on. And you know what? You know it now. So that's really the key. That's what you take moving forward. I really want to thank you for just sharing your insights, bringing your knowledge, and just being a guest on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No, it was so much fun. Thank you. I love bringing in the creator's perspective. When talking about influencer marketing or the creator economy space, I think oftentimes it's something that is overlooked, but creators need help too. So I've got my key takeaways on today's episode. Number one, if you're a creator before reaching out to a brand for a partnership, you should engage with the brand by posting organically about their products, following and engaging with them on social media and commenting on their content to prime them up for a potential pitch. This genuine engagement and interest in the brand can increase the chances of a successful partnership. Number two, when reaching out to brands, influencers should arm themselves with community engagement metrics, insights on posted content, story insights, and conversion data to really showcase their impact and effectiveness. They can also try pitching a mini creative concept to the brand to paint a picture of how they can incorporate the brand into their content with kind of their unique perspective. Sharing all of this information can really increase the chances of a successful partnership too. And lastly, there are some tips for influencers to make themselves more discoverable and attractive to partners or potential partners. Include your location and email address in your bio. Molly felt very strongly about that one. And then when pitching to brands, avoid blanket emails. Take time to really personalize your pitch by mentioning your connection or mentioning organic mentions of the brand. And lastly, do some research before pitching to help avoid mistakes and make the partnership, again, more successful. I'd love to hear what nuggets of insights you walked away with from today's episode. Subscribe and follow on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. I'm obsessed with them, so ask me more. Check out the episode page to learn a little bit more about Molly, as well as how you can reach out to me. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off.